What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie, presented by Student Union Sports. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we've got a great show for you today. We have an interview with former collegiate quarterback Max Brown. We have the part six of the NFL Power Rankings, and then I'm going to give my take here at the beginning of the show on the negotiations between the owners and players in the MLB. Let's do it. Hello again, everyone. A nice second welcome here. Uh, and you may have heard things are things are a little different now. Not only is there an intro before the intro music, but we have found ourselves a sponsor. Uh, and I'm excited to be partnering with Student Union Sports. For those of you who saw the video on Twitter, it's awesome, super exciting. Uh, a lot of great guys. Been with them for about a year now um, in a sports writing capacity, but excited to bring the podcast into the fold as a part of the team. Um, for those of you who missed the video, nothing's going to change as far as content goes. Uh, we're just going to be able to use our resources, pull them together, and hopefully expand both of the brands. So very exciting, uh, big things to come with that. And before we get into today's interview with Max Brown, a great conversation with him, a former five-star quarterback, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this MLB negotiation. So first things first, to get out of the way, you have to understand um, that, that this is dragged on for a while, obviously. I mean, it's been, you know, they, they weren't able to start the season and they've been trying to figure out, you know, how many games they're going to play, how much they're going to pay the players, this whole thing. And the reason why the NHL and the NBA, their their negotiations were pretty much painless was because they had already started the season. And in fact, they were basically done with the season at this point. There wasn't much to much more to discuss besides, you know, playoffs. That's why the NBA and NHL were just like, fine. We'll skip the regular season, jump right into the playoffs. But the MLB season hadn't started yet. So as far as guys getting paid and, and working out the numbers and the amount of regular season games played, that's a totally different story. And unfortunately, uh, we see yet again the owners trying to take advantage of the players. Uh, they were working on a prorated salary deal. Um, I think the first one that came out basically gave the top-end players uh, a fractional boost over the middle and, and lower level guys um, in in the MLB at least. And let's not even talking about the farm system. We've seen multiple teams just cut off paying uh, their players completely. And I really I really don't understand why in 2020, uh, after years of fighting for players to get a bigger piece of the pie, there is a large majority of people signing with the owners. I mean, obviously, nobody wants baseball more than the players. That's the simple fact. Business owners, the owners of the team are businessmen, businesswomen. They're going to make money outside of baseball. It's not the end-all, be-all. Although it is very important to them, uh, they're going to make money. The players, however, you know, with everyone stuck at home, not as many sponsorship deals, especially you know, not, not much for the middle-level guys, they need to play. They need to be getting their money from the game. Uh, and the owners have used that to their advantage, trying to pay them less and less. And, I mean, people forget that being an owner in the MLB is, uh, you make a lot of money. Any sports team, professional sports team, it's well worth the risk. And it's not even a risk. You're, you're basically putting in, you know, a lot of money, whether that's with a, a partnership of you guys or, um, or one person themselves, and it's a guaranteed profit. That's how it's been for the last 100 years for baseball. And uh, you know the last 30, 40, 50 for for the other major major teams. But 
The owner sent a proposal. The Players Association was not happy. They gave out this last night, uh, this quote. If it is in your intention to unilaterally impose a season, we again request that you inform us and our members of how many games you intend to play and when and where players should report. It is unfair to leave players and the fans hanging at this point. Another quote. We demand that you inform us of your plans by close of business Monday, June 15. So obviously things are reaching a boiling point. Uh, the players are, are tired of this. You know, It was first proposed 111 game season and then a 50 game season. It's really, really all over the place. And the uh, MLB released a statement here shortly after. We are disappointed that the MLBPA has chosen not to renegotiate in good faith over resumption of play after MLB has made three successful proposals that would provide players, clubs, and our fans with an amicable resolution to a very difficult situation caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The MLBPA understands that the agreement reached on March 26 was premised on the party's mutual understanding that the players would be paid their full salaries only if play resumed in front of fans and that another negotiation was to take place if clubs could not generate the billions of dollars of ticket revenue required to pay the players. The MLBPA's position that players are entitled to virtually all of the revenue from a 2020 season played without fans is not fair to the thousands of other baseball employees that clubs in our office are supporting financially during this very difficult 2020 season. We will evaluate the union's refusal to adhere to the terms of the March agreement, and after consulting with ownership, determine the best course to bring baseball back to our fans. Now, what the best course means is a variety of statements. We, we really don't know. Um, but the bottom line is the owners can afford to do this, right? And, and turning it on the players saying, you know, you're stealing money not only from uh, your fellow players, but also the other people that work in the system, it just doesn't make sense. You know, and I understand they're losing money because they can't have fans. Uh, but there's got to be other ways to, to build up that revenue and not make the people that are playing the game and making it uh, a successful and fun event for people to tune into pay for it. They shouldn't be the ones that have to figure it out. Their job is to play, and they should be paid handsomely for it. But bottom line is we still have a long way to go. I mean, we see the NBA, what they've been able to do with fully guaranteed salaries and and plans in place to, to make sure that the owners aren't taking advantage of the players. And honestly, a lot of these other leagues have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll update this as it moves along, but I, I can't imagine there won't be an MLB season because we see these guys get closer and closer to just shutting it down altogether and somebody caves. And the key thing to remember here is that the MLB Players Association caves. This isn't just, you know, for a season to get baseball back, but this gives owners leverage when, when coming into the next CBA and so forth. So this is a very big deal. This isn't about uh, the 2020 season, no matter what the owners say. This is a lot bigger. This is bottom line, who has control? Who provides uh, the biggest service? Is it the owners or the players? And I say it's the players. But enough about baseball. Uh, here we go, our interview with Max Brown, a great one. Here it is. We're now joined with a very special guest, former USC and Pitt quarterback, Max Brown. Max, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to get a chance to talk to you and, and uh, maybe pick your brain a little bit. But first off, I want to talk about your career as a quarterback. Uh, went to Sammamish High School. We were talking fellow, fellow PNW guys here. So we've got that connection going on. Uh, 11th prospect in the nation, top quarterback. I mean, coming out of high school, you had to feel you're feeling pretty good. What was that like having being a guy that guys were, that colleges were saying, you know, 
we want to get this guy. You know, you were the guy. You had a lot of offers from a lot of schools. What was that like? Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, I, I, I'm from Sammamish. I went to Skyline, which was the uh, one of the powers in the state of Washington. Uh, at least when I was there, it was kind of Skyline and Bellevue. And um, yeah, two Washington guys. So want to want to drop that uh, that tidbit in. But uh, no, it was awesome. I mean, uh, I was and I talk about this in a lot of the content I do nowadays is I, I literally was living the, the dream of every like every little kid. I mean, at 17 years old, I was the, the, the number one quarterback in the country and could have gone to college anywhere in the country I wanted. I mean, that's, that was uh, as fortunate as you could have, could have drawn it up, but uh, felt like I put in the work to, to get to that status and uh, was super fortunate to, to get all those schools that, uh, that wanted me. And um, no, it was a special time. I went to a, a public school rather than a private school. I feel like lots of times now guys are going to private schools. So the guys I was playing with in high school were my best buds since I was, an elementary school kind of thing, which was awesome. And to win a bunch of state titles with them, it was, uh, it really was uh, kind of a, a fairy tale childhood, I guess you could, you could say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had, like you said, you had a lot of offers from a lot of schools over the country, uh, USC, Washington, Alabama. Uh, and so what made you go to USC? I mean, you could have stayed right there uh, in, in Seattle and went to, to Washington or even, you know, my team, the the uh, the Cougars, Washington State, across across the uh, the state. But what made you decide, you know, USC, this is the place? Yeah, the news that just came out yesterday um, is the 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 Reggie Bush back into USC, and I grew up watching that. So I grew up watching like Reggie and Matt. That's that's right when football started to become something I like, like third, fourth, fifth grade. Like that that's that's when SC was in its heyday. So even if I'm not going to sit here and say I was a diehard fan growing up, but I think anyone on the West Coast, like, that's that's the pinnacle. I mean, at least for me and my age group, I mean, playing football at USC, like, that was that was the standard. Um, and so when I got to the point where I really was getting every offer I wanted, um, I knew I wanted to play at a big-time school, so that's kind of why my, my final three ended up being Oklahoma, Alabama, and USC. I knew I wanted to play at that standard, and then some of the smaller factors. I mean, the idea of going to school in Los Angeles, the idea of getting the USC degree, um, the, the prospects of being the guy that potentially brought USC back to the promised land. Like that was how I was wired. That's what I bought into. Um, they did not take a quarterback in the grade above me. Uh, I was going to get a shot to play right away. I battled for the, for the job that first spring. So it's kind of all those factors kind of accumulated, accumulated into something that said, Hey, I'll sign the dotted line and, uh, and, and let's go do this thing. Yeah. So you were, you were in competition with Cody Kessler your first year. Uh, and, and he won the quarterback battle. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts. You know, you're basically, you're a freshman. You, you didn't win the job, but I mean, it's fine. You've got, uh, you've got time, you know, the rest of your collegiate career. But, but what's going through your mind that first year? You know, were you expecting to start, hoping to start? Uh, yeah, just kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah, it's funny you say, like, you got time because you're totally right. Um, but looking back, like, I I made a conscious effort to not be wired that way. I didn't want to be a guy that was just chilling in the, on, uh, as a backup, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm a USC quarterback. And to an extent, maybe that hurt me because I think it allowed me to uh, – forced me to be, be tough on myself at times and, and, and kind of press, press the issue uh, maybe when I, when I shouldn't have kind of thing. But uh, I think at, at that time I knew I wasn't playing at a very high level. I knew I had growing pains. I knew I was a guy that – could use the red shirt year and you would have never got that out of me during it but looking back I definitely was a guy that uh, 
had some growing pains uh, transitioning from, from high school to college. I mean, everything was just a beat faster. I mean, you're thinking about things that you just weren't thinking about in, uh, in high school in terms of managing the offense, getting in and out of the huddle, just random stuff like that. Um, I mean, that's like Lane Kiffin's offense with the, the sentence-long uh, pro-style plays. So it was a big adjustment for me, um, I think, in terms of just the speed of the game. Uh, so I knew I could have benefited from a redshirt year. So I'm not, it wasn't panic mode. It wasn't, Hey, uh, call up all the coaches I'm transferring. That, that was never a thing. Um, but I, I was of the mindset that, Hey, in 2013, I'm going to use this year to, to push through those growing pains, work my ass off, never get out of work, like, uh, stay after with the walk on receivers, that type of thing. Uh, I was still all as intense as could be. Um, knowing that, hey, I was a third-string quarterback, and looking back, it's kind of funny, but I was like, oh, I'm two hits away. Like, I'm two hits away. But in hindsight, I don't think I was close to playing, but uh, I, uh, I battled and, and, and wanted to make sure I was ready uh, when my time came uh, for another competition battle, which would happen that next spring, and uh, the, the competition battles that would happen uh, in, in the future throughout my college career. Mm, yeah, and, and that's kind of a, a theme that we've seen with a lot of these guys, especially now in – in college where it's, you know, if you don't get the starting job right away, I mean, we're transferring, we're going, you know, and that's not something that's been around forever. This is like the last four to five years that guys have really been making this decision. I mean, do you, do you, do you have an idea of why guys might be making that shift to be a little more transfer happy? Yeah. I always talk about, it. I think my class, the class of 2013, uh, we really were kind of the midpoint or the turning point in terms of, how transferring was perceived. And what I mean by that is the quarterback before me at my high school was also a top quarterback in the class of 2009. I remember like when he was there, if you transferred in some regard, the, the, the mental wiring was like, Oh, you failed or you didn't get it done or something like that. And I feel like now and my class was kind of the turning point where you could have got, could have gone either way. Now it's not as taboo to transfer. It's just kind of part of the system. If you transfer, you're not, it's not a red flag. I guess that's, that's probably the best way to put it. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, when I was going through that process, the idea of transferring was something I just, I didn't want to go down that path. I didn't want to be a transfer guy. And I think that's definitely a reason why I, uh, why I hung on that long. But I think I'm always pro player. And uh, I think one thing I always push back on any segment I do is every player for, for us college football fans, uh, it's easy to just kind of get used to the system and whatnot. But for these guys, they get one shot at it. You get five years at most, you get one shot at this college football thing. So I'm all for transferring. Um, I, I think the uh, guy scared of competition narrative is a little bit uh, far-fetched. I, I think there's certain pieces of that. But at the end of the day, we see time and time again, these top-level quarterbacks especially transfer, have better success elsewhere. Um, and I think, uh, I think it's good for the, for the kid. And it might not be ideal for the system and the fans and the universities, but at the end of the day, uh, I'm, I'm pro player on the matter. Do you think they should ease up on the restrictions like sitting out a year if you do transfer? Because that's kind of, you know, because it's becoming more popular. Uh, is there a chance that the NCAA kind of reforms that the transfer rules a little bit? Yeah. And as I say, have pro player, I guess I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. I'm actually pretty cool with, with how the rules are. And, and I see both sides. I just my biggest worry is if, if it's just open season free agency just that, that, that to me has trickle effects that uh, are going to be hard to manage. I think it's going to be a nightmare. I think it's going to um, kind of uh, warrant some of the, the pushback of, of guys transferring just because they're like after a spring ball, if they're where they want to be, it's just kind of open season. Where can I go get 
uh, the most amount of snaps the next the next year. I don't think that's good. Uh, I will say some of these uh, appeals with the NCAA and some guys getting approved and some guys not. That to me is weird. I'm I, like how a, a, a Justin Fields got approved, and I don't mean to be insensitive if I'm missing something, but how he got approved, I'm like, wait, what? That, that makes no sense. Um, so I, I think I'm cool with how it is, and I think it's awesome that they're rewarding guys for graduating early. I think that's something that I did. I, I grad transferred, and, and, and was I could have grad transferred with two seasons of eligibility. So I'm cool with how the system is now. Uh, it's not perfect, but I'm just worried about going down the path of, of, of open season free agency. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and, and moving on here in your in your football career a little bit. So uh, Cody Kessler, backup for a number of years, and then you get into a quarterback battle with Sam Darnold. Um, and, and this was like, you know, you're feeling good. You've sat, you've sat back. You've watched a little bit. What was your, where was your mindset at going into this quarterback competition as opposed to uh, with Cody Kessler? Yeah, the biggest difference was I was the old guy now. And uh, I think it's always funny talking about this now because obviously Sam's the quarterback for the New York Jets and most people don't really know who I am. But at the time, I mean, going into the 2016, so like Christmas of 2015, it was, it was, it was my team. I mean, I think most people in the locker room were like, hey, Max had waited his turn. I've been playing good football. I think that's the biggest thing with a lot of this is it, behind the scenes, in practice and whatnot, I've been playing good football. So the narrative was kind of like, all right, this is, this is Max's season. And I remember going into that year, like everyone would talk to me about Alabama week one, which ended up being my first start. Like that was the, all right, it's, it's building to that. It's building to, hey, the, the fall of 2016 is going to be the Max Brown campaign. And um, as time went on, it was like, hey, there's this, there's this hot shot youngster right behind him. And I think people were wary of it. But uh, at the time it was, hey, we knew, we knew Sam was great, but hey, this Max guy is good too. And He's going to have his run and then Sam's going to play later. That was the, the feel within the entire program, I think you would say. And it was a neck and neck competition battle, but um, I felt like I had a good kind of grasp on that locker room. I was a leader in that locker room. I ended up getting named a captain. So all those things, it, it just felt like it, it really did feel like it was kind of my time, my team. Um, and sure, Sam and I had a, had a neck and neck competition. Don't get me wrong, but it, it just felt like that was kind of all the, all the lost competition battles beforehand, all the struggles, all the things you kind of pushed through. It felt like, all right, now that's finally behind me. 2016 is going to be the year. We had a very good team. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was super exciting going into that, that season. I knew it was going to be a tight battle, but uh, felt confident in my skill set to, to beat him out and get it done, which I did. But, obviously, I, I know uh, in, in hindsight, uh, yeah, things obviously didn't necessarily work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that in a bit. But I just want to talk to you a little bit about – you mentioned Sam Darnold, you uh, were in a, a quarterback battle. So obviously that, you know, sometimes guys are, are able to stay, you know, friends within that. And sometimes you know, we've seen it drive a wedge in between people. How was, how was that like for you and, and, and Sam Darnold? This is a question I find myself getting more and more. And it, it's a cool topic because I remember before I got into college, the concept of like being friends with your competition is like, what the heck, get out of here. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to SC, I got one mindset, I'm going to play. If anyone gets in my way, like screw them. Like that's how I was wired. And I feel like from the outside, that's how a lot of people are wired is like, you can't be friends with that guy. Like if you're that much of a competitor, like you wouldn't be friends with them. But then when you're in it, it's like, you got, you're around these guys every single day. Like if, if you're a dick or whatever, like it's going to catch up. It makes your life even harder. And mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't as close with Cody, um, but we were still cool. Like if I called him up right now, it wouldn't be weird kind of thing. Um, and when you're just around these guys every single day, 
um, it, it becomes a, I think you realize it's really not a, it's not the outside world's going to make it a max versus Sam thing, but it really is a, a max versus max thing or a max versus the coaches thing. It really, when you're in it, it's never amongst the players because if it is, it just makes it more exhausting and, uh, and harder to, harder to manage for yourself. And, uh, I've always said, I mean, Sam's a great dude. We're good buddies to this day. Uh, I always say like, if we didn't compete and we, we weren't in the same position, we'd probably be even better friends just because the. I mean, I'm not being soft in the general nature. It's like, yeah, I mean, you, you better believe like some of those competition things still still live inside you a little bit, but he's a great guy, great guy to root for. And I think when you're living it, the, be the best thing I can say is it never really was a me versus Sam thing. It's uh, competing against yourself and competing against uh, the the defense and the reps you're getting and the coach's decision. That type, that, that type of thing is, is, is kind of how I was wired. Yeah, and, and so going into that season, obviously, like you said, started the year off at Alabama. Didn't go as according to plan. You had a couple games uh, at quarterback before Sam took over. And I was just pulling a quote here. Um, uh, you said, when the dialogue starts being SC isn't playing for the national championship because of Max Brown, that aids you. I don't think that was the case. I truly don't. Uh, so obviously you face a lot of backlash because of, of, you know, your play at the beginning of the season and Sam Darnold took over and, and was playing really well. Did you – I mean, can you, can you go into that quote a little bit more? Like, well, you know, obviously it's not all on you, right? Like that, that's how it is in the league normally, you know, it's, it all gets blamed on the quarterback, but it, it's a full team. Uh, but can you just kind of talk to me a little bit about that quote, kind of how you were feeling as the national media was just really going into you at that point? Yeah, that was one of the hardest things. And that's a big motivating factor about why I share the content I do share on my platform, because I may have had the had it more public than others, but that type of thought process uh, is not unique to just me. And I think uh, there's a lot of people out there that that are real, like their life is seriously impacted by narratives like that. Because the reality is, and we're both sensible college football fans, and we can realize that it's not totally on me. But you better believe that a lot of SC fans at their dinner table are saying with a straight face that, hey, if this Max Brown kid never started. SC would have been in the national championship because the narrative from a, from a bird's eye view is, Hey, the second they benched Max Brown, SC won nine in a row. Um, I guess they lost. And that's my point is people forget that like, Hey, they benched me. We still lost our next game. And then mm -hmm. we rattled them off, but it's those things that as time goes on, it kind of, you kind of brush by it. Uh, and I don't say that to have a poor me thing. I just say that to raise the, raise the point that as time goes on, people forget about the nuances and then the, the, the high-level thing becomes, hey, if Max never played, we'd still be in the national championship. We'd be in the national championship. I still get comments like that. But I think at the end of the day, um, one thing that kind of gives me peace is there's no – I don't feel like there's any stone left unturned. And, uh, but you better believe that, that, that's, that that's tough to deal with. And I think the toughest part is when I got benched, there was a backlash on the, on the coaching staff. It was, hey, how could you do this to a Max Brown who waited his turn and that kind of thing. And once again, I don't say that to say poor me. I say that to just kind of give perspective on the matter. So – I kind of had bought into that narrative of like, gosh, dang it. What the heck? Like, um, that, like that, that lane. And then as you start rattling the winds off, the narrative changes within the media, within what you're, which within what you're watching on sports center. And, uh, that's super tough to deal with. And I think today in my life, it's given me kind of perspective and some armor to deal with whatever life can throw on me, but, uh, you better believe that's tough, but I'm also, uh, not alone in kind of having to, uh, to wear that narrative or narratives of that sort. And, I guess that's what you what you sign up for, but I just try to keep uh, perspective on the matter. And people that really know um, know know the know the facts there. And uh, I guess that's what I hang my hat on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and after this season, you 
you transferred to Pitt. So I just want to oh, – we'll kind of gloss over this because I want to get into what you've been doing, especially after football. Uh, but in your mind, if you don't suffer that shoulder injury, um, how, how differently does your career play out? I think, uh, I think a good chunk differently. I'm not going to say it's night and day because I'm not naive to the fact of uh, just all, all the factors at play. But, I mean, you talk about I uh, had six starts before I – or seven starts before I busted my injury. Every, uh, and every loss I had was against a, a ranked top ten team in the country. Um, so the concept of, like, getting into some easier games so I could actually play and, and, uh, and do that. I mean, you better believe, like, there's certain thoughts uh, – Thoughts in my head's about that. Um, but, yeah, the week before I ripped up my shoulder, I was the ACC player of the week. So those type of things say uh, make me think, like, I mean, what, what could have been kind of thing. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it would have been night and day different. But I do think, I mean, and, and it's funny saying this now because, I mean, for most people are not going to know the nuances. But I definitely think if I, if I kind of stayed on that track after the Rice game, there's a world where I get drafted. There's a world where I get more of a true shot in the NFL. There's a world where my shoulder's healthy and all that. So – um, I think it could have been different for sure. And I think that's a big reason why I speak out on some of the things I do is um, it's, it's, you just, it, it, sometimes a cookie cookie crumbles the, the, the way you wouldn't expect. And uh, you kind of just got to roll with, uh, with life's punches. Yeah. And, and so final question on that, is it, are you done pursuing the NFL? Is that something that you kind of have the door open for, or is it shut all the way? It shut all the way, and I shut it really probably uh, about 15 months ago. So I got hurt. In, I got hurt in the fall, October of 2017. I rehabbed for 15 months. Had to work out with uh, Steelers and the Redskins, uh, trying and try to get the shoulder back, and uh, basically just came to a point where uh, it wasn't happening. And uh, I moved on in February of uh, of last year. Okay. Well, fortunately, you have put yourself in a position to be successful off the field which is awesome to see uh, for the past year. Uh, I think up until just a couple months ago, you're working for Gary V. And I have to say, looking at your content, you kind of remind me of like Gary, like the Gary V broadcaster. You know what I mean? Like if he got into sports like that's, I think he would make like similar content to what you make. Uh, but you're, you're involved in, in USC broadcasting. You do radio for them, uh, working with stadium. I mean, how, how has your uh, trajectory, I mean, obviously it's not the way you planned, but how do you feel like you're doing in terms of career in the last year? Yeah, it's, uh, I've, never, I've never been asked that question like that. I, I think I'm doing, doing solid. I mean, uh, I think it's, it's, it's kind of whatever lens you look at it through. I mean, if you look at it through uh, my high school lens, you'd be like, what the heck? Like, uh, he's not playing in the NFL, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I know sometimes I, I mean, I'll be blunt there in that regard. I'd say I'm not doing well, but I think when you step back and, and take it from a more, uh, more kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, a different lens, I think I'm doing solid. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. happy with kind of wh where things are at. Uh, obviously I wish my athletic career would have played out differently, but uh, I really don't have any regrets and don't have any stone unturned. So uh, I'm happy with where things are at. Like you said, I worked for Gary, uh, Gary V all of 2019. I worked for a guy by the name of Lewis Howes now. I've uh, been working for him for about a few months. He's a different kind of uh, a podcaster, but I'm still in the lane of trying to figure out what I like, what I like to do. Um, and with, on the broadcasting front, just kind of chipping away at it, um, doing as many gigs as I can and doing work for Sirius XM Stadium and USC, like you, like you said. So I like my, like my, my path, but by no means do I have it figured out. And, uh, 
still still kind of tasting things out there to to kind of see what uh, what lane suits me best moving forward. Yeah, we had uh, we had AJ Vaynerchuk on the podcast here, I think a month ago. So that was Love fun it. getting to getting to talk with him a little bit. Yeah. So a couple of things I go, I always go scrolling deep on Twitter and Instagram to find, you know, just something to bring up because that's, you know, that's the best form of content, Love I it. think. Uh, I found out that you are a big, like huge LeBron James fan. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, what, how, how did that happen? First off, let's go there. I, I, I want to ask what post did you see that, uh, that, 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 that made you think, uh, oh, or made you know I'm a huge LeBron guy. I'm I think it was more of like, what post didn't I see? You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was, it was like every fifth, every fifth tweet, it was like something LeBron was doing or like some analyst defending Bron, uh, Bron's yeah. case or something like That's that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for me, uh, so it, it's similar with the Matt Reggie, uh, Matt Liner, Reggie Bush timeline. So you talk about I, LeBron came into the league in four, when I was in fourth grade. So that's right mm -hmm. when like sports becomes like serious for me. And yeah. um, so he would like timing wise, it was like, ah, uh, who, who's this guy? I remember my, my dad brought home the Sports Illustrated thing when, uh, when he was on the cover as a junior, like, oh, this is the next grade. And then so I think that's where it started. And then uh, I'm from Seattle, like we talked about uh, off air. And we lost our basketball team. And I'm a huge basketball fan. I'm almost more of a mm -hmm. basketball fan than a football fan, to be honest. And so when, when we lost the Sonics, it was like, hey, I need a squad. And I became a full-on LeBron bandwagoner. Wherever he goes, I was rooting. And then as I got older, I think I just respected the hell out of him. I mean, and, and when he was like the top guy, and I'm not saying I'm LeBron, but and then I was the top guy, I think I related in, in my respective quarterback world. Mm -hmm. um, I think I related to just how he handled everything, his leadership style. I think – uh, early on when he wasn't going where he like when he was getting shot down by everyone and then he combats that and wins the championships and kind of changes the narrative about uh, or the narrative for some people about where he's at I think I just respected the hell out of that and then as I get older or as I got older that that only has just compounded and uh, yeah man I'm a fan and uh, I'm actually uh, living in Southern California right now his house is like three miles up the way um, in a totally different community but uh, <laughs> yeah no I'm a uh, I'm a huge LeBron fan that's awesome. Another thing, this is like very, very specific, but you quote tweeted somebody saying that your forehead was unsettling. That was the word they used. And you said, yeah. I'd never, I'd never heard it used that way before. Uh, so that got me thinking, were there other adjectives that people use to describe your forehead? Oh, I get everything under the sun, bro. <laughs> um, uh, right when you say that, the first thing that comes to mind is like the, the Beavis and Butthead guy that has mm. the freaking ginormous forehead. I get that one. But, uh, no, I got a five head. It's, it's receding a little bit too. So it's only going to get more, but uh, <laughs> no, I try to have fun with it. And uh, as, as we've talked about this whole podcast, I mean, I still get uh, the trolls to this day about my playing career and all that. And I think it comes to a point where you really just get numb to it. And uh, you just try, I just try to have fun with it. I mean, it is what it is. And uh, yeah, man, the, uh, the, the five head, I guess you would say is, uh, is alive and well. Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of quarterbacks with big foreheads, like you look at Peyton Manning, like Peyton Manning, that's my guy too. You, yeah. You're you're right there with, you know, you've got you've got company from that standpoint. But uh, yeah, let's transition here before we finish up. I want to talk a little bit about the quarterbacks coming into this year. Uh, so I think there was, there's four, four draft in the first round. Um, so talk to me a little bit. I want to go through three different scenarios. So give me a guy you like, regardless of fit, you think he's going to have a solid career. Uh, and yeah, we'll start there. We'll start with that one. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I guess to start, I don't think there's a surefire guy. I, I mm -hmm. don't think there's a guy that's going to succeed no matter what. And the light I use that in is like 
And Andrew Luck, to me, is a guy that would have found success no matter what. Um, another example of, uh, I mean, who knows, uh, Carson Wentz or something. Yeah. Like he I mean, RG3, his rookie year, too. That yeah, kind, that yeah. kind of thing. Guys, yeah. guys like that. Um, and so I think I'll start there. But if I had to bet somewhere, um, I'll go uh, – I mean, I, I guess, no, I'll stick to my guns. I don't think there's a surefire guy. And what I say okay. by that is I think I was on a podcast the other day, Joe Burrow, I think he's going to need help. I think we saw that in his college career. He's a great quarterback. If you told me he's the next great, I'd believe it. But I think he needs help. I think he needs the right flavor of, of coaches and, and talent around him. Tua, I think he's, he's the guy I was about to say, but then the injury is kind of is tough. So we'll see where that is. But I think skill set wise, I mean, I love what Tua's got. And then Herbert, I think he needs support. I love the situation he has in uh, in San Diego. And then da- after that, there's a little bit of a drop off. So uh, yeah, I think there's some. A lot of those guys have good scenarios and, and, and very favorable outlooks moving forward. But uh, to me, there's no surefire guy that's uh, hey, book it. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. As a Colts fan, I appreciate that Andrew Luck reference. We talk. It's we've brought it up a couple of times, and it, there's only it's very rare when there's guys that can transcend like fit. And, and need and just like win games, which is just totally. very, and, very and special. You talk about the Colts. I mean, Jacob Eason, I felt like that was the perfect scenario for him. And I know he yeah. probably wanted to get drafted higher to uh, make a little bit more money, but Phillip Rivers for a year. Um, I think Jacob Eason, I mean, if you're, if you're a betting man, the odds are not in his favor for being uh, an all time great. But I think if he, if the recipe for success for him is exactly what's uh, what's at stake in, uh, in Indy. Yeah, no, I think it's 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 a perfect situation for sure. Okay, so how about a guy? So you mentioned Jacob Eason, but is there another guy who, uh, based on where he was drafted, fit all that stuff that you you really like? So this may not be in terms of in terms of like the best player, but a guy who you really think has found the perfect home. Yeah, and I guess I'll double down. I I, I blew up uh, my first answer. I think it's Jacob Eason. I, I okay. really do. I think. Uh, I, I thought he would come back to school originally. Um, and then I also thought he would get drafted higher. I did not think, I think it was the fourth round he, he was uh, drafted. And I think that's maybe a good reality check of kind of where he's at. I think he does have a lot of room to grow. But if you talk about like, what's his long-term uh, recipe for success, like I said, I mean, he's sitting, around, sitting behind Philip Rivers, who uh, all-time guy, all-time, I mean, he's probably a Hall of Famer. I mean, just like that, that perfect scenario. Uh, He's playing in a dome team, which is, uh, is great for the quarterback. And then just a, a franchise that has a great offensive line, good defense. I mean, I just think the long-term prospects there for him are fantastic. And like I said, I know you want to get drafted earlier, but uh, I love Jacob Eason's fit. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll, Justin Herbert, I think that was the perfect fit for him. I think for him, personality, uh, that was a big factor at play. And going to San Diego, which is the low-key market, he's a West Coast guy. He never left Eugene. Uh, and I don't mean to blow that out of proportion, but the idea of just going down to San Diego, I think in the grand scheme of things, that's easy and similar to what Jacob Eason would have in India. I mean, they got an elite defense in, in San Diego uh, and some playmakers around them. If I'm Justin Herbert, I am stoked. Um, and I, I feel like both those guys, their scenarios jump out to me as uh, is very favorable. Yeah. And, and especially with, I mean, we know Eason's not going to start, but Herbert, you know, he could potentially start, but it's a, it's, it'll be a battle, you know, like the Chargers have somebody, they can fall back on in Tyrod Taylor. So I feel like that gives him an edge, but also they feel comfortable and they're not, you know, stuck with him if things don't work out right away. Without a doubt. And uh, I know for me, I, I go circle the bye week. That to me is the first time that maybe if things aren't going the way 
uh, the Chargers want. Maybe they throw him in there, but uh, no, well said. Mm -hmm. And then finally, a guy, maybe a, a late round guy, a six seven, or even an undrafted guy who could be, you know, maybe not Gardner Minshew in that sense, but a guy who will carve out some playing time eventually in his career. Yeah, I'll go off the the, the books a little bit. Um, and and the, the Tyler Huntley thing, I'm not gonna from Utah. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to break the uh, put put the bank on him having success. In, in fact, I think that the possibility is very very slim. I just bring that up because it's very interesting. The team that drafted him when he's going to Baltimore, um, I believe, and I, uh, I might need to get fact checked on that. But the Baltimore uh, team, I mean, just with Lamar Jackson there, some of the dual threat things there, that to me is very fascinating. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm not I'm not going to say he's going to be a a ground groundbreaking talent, but I thought that was just interesting. Just the fact when you, when you scroll down kind of where he's going. Um, and then I know Jake Fromm's been in the, in the news negatively, but Jake Fromm, and I, I do not mean, I mean this as much of a compliment as it could be. Jake Fromm reminds me of a guy that could be in the league for 15 years as a backup. And I think when you kind of scale his success, when it's all said and done versus some of these other guys, I think he could be making a lot of money as just being the, the locker room backup guy. And with Josh Allen doing some of his goofy-ass runs that he does sometimes and getting hurt and potentially getting hurt, I could see him getting in there and making some moves. Um, he's got he's to get that text message game figured out first, but uh, he's Absolutely. a guy that, that sticks out. And, um, yeah, Tyler Huntley, I don't think he'll be an NFL superstar, but I just think his scenario is very interesting and something that I circled uh, after the draft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Max. Really awesome. Good chance to talk to you. And let's circle back, you know, when college football season hopefully rolls around and we'll have to get you on soon for sure. No, this was awesome. Thanks for having me on, JT. I mean, time is just flying by. We are on part six of the NFL power rankings. That means we crack into the top 10 today. Uh, for those of you who have missed out, you can go on our Instagram at Podcast. You can see where every team's ranked and then go back and listen to these past for this past month and a half and, and get an idea of, of why I've got those teams there because there are some very, very good reasons, I, I promise. Uh, but let's jump into it. So today we're hitting 12 through 9, uh, and then two weeks after that we'll be done. Absolutely crazy. Uh, but to give you guys an idea of what we're doing with this schedule, so we're going to finish the power rankings, and then we're going to go straight into divisional rankings. And in that segment, or in the, that segment over the next two months, I'll be breaking down game by game each team's schedule uh, and doing it in order of how good I think the divisions are going to be for this upcoming season. So obviously, a lot of fun content. You know, on top of that, we're going to get interviews. And once the NBA is back, we're, we're going to be talking some basketball once they move into their to their playoffs. So it's going to be awesome. Very exciting. Uh, sports are on the way back, you know, and, and here's the thing. This is something to look forward to is at the end of the divisional power rankings, we will be, I think if I calculate that correctly, let's see, mid, we'll be, we'll be like end of August. So it'll be maybe a week. I think we'll do a full preview with awards and everything. And then it'll be football season. I, I mean, you know, barring that everything goes well. So things are looking, things are looking pretty good. Things are looking very exciting. Sports are on the way back. Uh, and sandwiched in there, we're going to have a ton of interviews because, you know, we, we bring in the, uh, the best people. Uh, but, but we're going to have a lot of NFL content especially and hope to build on top of that. But let's jump right into it. So here at number 12, we've got the Cleveland Browns. And I understand. I know I was really high on them last year. I think I had Baker winning MVP and them going not to the Super Bowl, but I think close. I did have the Bears in the Super Bowl. And 
that didn't turn out too well for me. But this offseason, they, they got another weapon at tight end in Austin Hooper. Uh, they, they got better from the tackle standpoint, Jack Conklin, Jedrick Wills, and they also got fullback Andy Janovich. And it all kind of centers around this this new coach, Kevin Stefanski, and I really do think they're going to have a similar style to what Stefanski had with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, where uh, running will be the primary thing. That's why they got the fullback. That's why they have really, really solid tackles. I mean, I can't think of a team that had a higher jump in, in as far as talent goes from from what they had last year, you know, Baker was running for his life to now it's, you know, Jack Conklin's one of the best right tackles in the game. And Jedrick Wills was my offensive tackle number one in in the draft class. So it's awesome that they got them. And the thing is, is that Baker Mayfield is a very effective uh, player in the in play action. I think he's actually the most effective. I was reading something on, on Twitter earlier this week about that. So Kevin Stefanski knows how to use play action. Kirk Cousins has lived off of play action over these past few years out there in Minnesota. And they've got a guy who's similar in skill to Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb, who will more than gladly take the ball. Um, but as far as other additions go, uh, I mentioned... Andy Janovich, Austin Hooper, another tight end, alongside David Njoku, Jack Conklin, uh, and their losses. They lost a couple linebackers. That's going to be the key the key part to watch. I think that'll be the number one thing that everyone's going to have to keep their eyes on for this upcoming season. Um, how are they going to do at that position? Because that's really the main, the main question mark at this point. Uh, but Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey both left in the offseason, uh, so that's, that's something they're going to have to look out for. In the draft, I thought they had a really good draft. Uh, Jedrick Wills, as I mentioned, Grant Delpit, who, uh, if all goes according to plan, I mean, at the beginning of the season, he was a top 10 pick, and he fell all the way into the second round. Uh, good on the Browns for taking advantage of that. But if he can if he can channel that early on play, I mean, he's going to be set up for, for what's going to be a very, very successful season, and he'll start right away, and he's going to have a, a, a really good chance along you know, him, Denzel Ward, can really be pillars on that defense, and that's kind of where it's built. Uh, and then Harrison Bryant as well. So another tight end that just kind of adds another piece to their uh, to their style of play, you know, really running a lot of these play-action sets and building it based off the run, which is really cool to see. Um, the, the big thing is, you know, are they built to withstand the hype? I mean, I think once they signed Hooper and Conklin and, and were able to get Jedrick Wills, I think people were starting to come back on the bandwagon because, you know, you could, you could blame it on coaching, you could blame it on poor offensive tackle play, uh, but they got a new coach. They got a new coach in Stefanski, uh, and they got better tackles. And so now, you know, and they, they even added Austin Hooper. So another another really good talent. So now you're coming to the point where you're saying, okay, wait a minute. How good can these guys really be? I mean, if we can keep Baker upright, if we can get a a, a coordinator who's who knows how to play uh, call plays that work for Baker, you know, not just stuck in the similar uh, similar pattern, but really adjust on the fly to what he's capable of doing. How high can they really fly? You know, so that's going to be the thing. How can they manage expectations? Uh, Baker is kind of learning to be now the favorite. You know, you, you look back in his career, he was he was a, a walk-on at Texas Tech, transferred to Oklahoma, didn't start till his final season. So he's been having to work hard his entire life, but then all of a sudden he gets to the NFL. He's the number one overall pick in the draft, and then he's got to throw to Jarvis Landry and OBJ, and he's got Nick Chubb, and he dominated his rookie season. Uh, you know, and had a really solid season. So now he's saying, well, let's see what they can do. Uh, and didn't live up to the expectation, and it made him come across as uh, that same chip-on-the-shoulder mentality, which you really can't have as as a, a quarterback when you're that good. You know, you've got to be the face of the franchise. You've got to be mature. You've got to be uh, articulate and, and, you know, not 
put yourself out on the tabloids for for the wrong reasons. So that's something he's going to have to work on, and the rest of the team because you know the biggest concern with this offense is. OBJ's got to get touches, and Joku's got to get touches. Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Nick Chubb—are uh, they going to be able to manage all of that? There, there are—you know—there are a lot of egos on that team, and if they don't get the ball as much as they like, even if they're winning, are they going to cause a stink in the media? I mean, obviously, it makes sense. If you're not winning, hundred percent—you know—you're going to be upset. You're not going to be happy with the way things rolled. But I mean, can you? Can they? Are they going to be able to say, you know what, we're not going to get to 100 catchers? catches but we'll get you 750 yards maybe a thousand yards and we're going to go 10 and 6 um so that's going to be the the big thing to look out for there but i've got the browns at 12 i think that's very safe i think if all goes according to plan i mean they're looking at a solid they may challenge the ravens i don't know how close they'll get but you know they'll, they'll be right up there with the ravens in and at 12 i've obviously got them locking up a wild card spot moving on here to number 11 we've got the philadelphia eagles now the eagles had everybody injured last year and even Carson Wentz in the playoffs um, and they, they still made it you know that was something that was incredible to watch uh, and it really showed you what Carson Wentz was made of I think in my eyes he silenced a lot of, of doubters uh, who were saying you know when, when Nick Foles carried him to the Super Bowl it's like well he can't stay healthy he can't go on a run people forget that he was leading the MVP race before he tore his ACL and I think week 14 before Nick Foles went on that run and he he put them in place to get that first round by and Obviously, it can't be understated what Nick Foles did, throwing for 400 yards in the Super Bowl. Obviously, big time, but Carson Wentz proved a lot this year. You know, every meaningful guy besides Miles Sanders on offense was hurt, and he said, you know what? We're going to the playoffs no matter what, uh, and that was a really good look out of him. Obviously, now they can work to to building the team. Um, in the offseason, they picked up Javon Hargrave and Darius Slay, two really, really solid pieces. Um, I think those are, are key to that defense and and they didn't have to give up too much to get him. Obviously, Darius Slay, I think, was a third and a fifth rounder, um, and he's a Pro Bowl caliber guy. Javon Hargrave, you, you saw what he did with the Steelers. You heard uh, Bud Dupree talk about him a couple weeks ago, um, and and he's another solid piece there. Losses, not crazy, right? You know, Jordan Howard, that's fine. Ronald Darby, Nelson Aguilar, a lot of older guys, um, you know, got the team a little bit younger, maybe a little bit healthier, better at catching passes, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And then the draft is where it really gets interesting. I think Jalen Rager, you heard me talk about it, not the biggest fan of a pick like that. I don't really think um, that's the direction they could have gone based on guys that were left on the board, you know, Justin Jefferson, KJ Hamler, even you know, even waiting a little bit longer um, to, to pick him up, or even Brandon Ayuk. You know, I think those would have been really good pieces to go and, you know, maybe not take him in the first round. And then obviously the big one, Jalen Hurts, you know, a uh, lot of backlash, but I'm interested to see how he'll operate. You know, I don't think he's just going to be a backup quarterback and he's just going to sit there. Uh, he'll be in, involved in the offense. I think um, if they can run some some sort of wildcat or you know whatever whatever it is option plays with him, I think he'll get involved. Um, and obviously, if Carson Wentz goes down with injury, I mean he's going to be the next guy up. Uh, and and then Kayvon Wallace, a safety. I thought that was a really solid piece. Uh, really builds up that secondary now. Him and Darius Slay. Um, so a, a good pickup there. I think the third round pick was probably their best as far as value goes and team need, uh, and all that sort of thing. But I think the real question is here, you know, is they won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Uh, Carson Wentz silenced guys and saying, you know, he's, 
he can't play at a high level, which he did. He put him on the back to the playoffs. But the big thing is, can he stay healthy? Because I think I think that the Eagles had a chance to beat the Seahawks if Carson Wentz doesn't go down. And I understand that injury. You know, it was there was a helmet into the ground. You know, that that sort of thing can't be avoided. Sometimes it just happens. You know, it's football. I I totally understand that, but. There's going to come a point where if your if your your guy your quarterback is going to be going down in the biggest moments of the game, how how good are you feeling about having a guy like that continually play uh, and and be the starter? I'm not saying he's going to be uh, ousted for Jalen Hurts in, in a salary cap move or, or whatnot, but I think you really got to consider and and think about hey we're trying to build a winner here and the NFC is not getting any easier. In fact, it's getting a lot harder. So do we like what we've got here with Carson Wentz, are we going to try and stick with it? Or is maybe Jalen Hurts our guy and we start building towards the future? Um, and, you know, I'm saying all of this having them ranked at 11, so I, I don't think that's going to happen. But those are real questions you have to have. I think, you know, are you going to be content with making the playoffs, getting in every year, maybe winning a game or two, and, and that's it? Because I think the way the, the team is built outside of the quarterback position, that's really what you you can expect. You know, you'll go 10-6, and 11-5, and five, maybe you know at best and then and then and, and then lose the first couple of games because you're gonna have to go through the Packers the 49ers the Seahawks uh, you know the Vikings are getting better the Cowboys even in their own division so definitely something to look out for and in tune with that is Doug Peterson is he on the hot seat does is the chair getting a little warm from there because I think you know you look at what they did a couple years ago with the Super Bowl was it Frank Reich that was largely responsible for that success? I mean, what, who, who was most, who, who got Nick Foles to that level? You know, I think that's the one thing that people are wondering, and it's obviously not something that you can figure out just normally. So, because uh, there's no way to, no way to really figure it out. Um, but we have seen what Nick Foles has done outside of the team, and you, and you have to wonder something in the Eagles, some system that they had set up was was there for him to be successful. Was it Frank Reich? Was it Doug Peterson? We don't really know. Um, but it feels like they've underperformed. I, you know, since that Super Bowl, since Frank Reich left to be the coach of the Colts, it feels like they've they've come up just a little bit short. Um, but for the Eagles, the biggest thing right now is you know you're trying to get into the playoffs. Winning the division again is going to be very key because like I, I haven't mentioned the Cowboys yet, so we know they're up there somewhere. We know they're up there at some point, uh, and so that's going to be something that you know you win the division, show Carson Wentz can be up in that in that higher category you know I don't have him in the top five um, on my quarterbacks list but you know how can this play how can he keep pushing towards that level he may not ever get there but um, the way the team's built they really need a, a star quarterback to step up an MVP candidate to step up and maybe that's Carson Wentz you know and I think a lot of that has to do with can his his weapons stay healthy can the defense do its job and they got a, a lot of really good pieces on that defense so that's something to really look out for. The Eagles are a very interesting team because I think if if all goes right, they could be higher on this list. But there's also a chance they could be lower. You know, this could be we could be building towards a very disappointing season. Uh, you know, a five and eleven, six and ten because they just can't get it done. Uh, so that's the Philadelphia Eagles here at eleven. Next up is ten, the Green Bay Packers. Now this one may be a little high. Uh, obviously, all things considered, they were in the, the NFC Championship game, but. You look at the roster here. I mean, we're talking ads. Devin Funches, Christian Kirksey. They lost Brian Bulaga, Blake Martinez, Geronimo Allison, Jimmy Graham. I know the the, the last two aren't as, as key as the first two, but Brian Bulaga was very underrated. You look at the tackle group, David Bakhtiari and, and Bulaga, 
That's one of the best groups that Aaron Rodgers had to work with. Wide receivers or no, he was very well protected, uh, adding into his you know increased mobility. I think that's a, that was a really good uh, offensive line group, at least on the ends. Uh, and, and now he's gone, and you're going to have to go in-house. It seems like they haven't really made any big signings uh, in free agency or in the draft as far as uh, meeting that offensive line need. But Blake Martinez was a key linebacker that they lost, and they got Christian Kirks to replace him, but you know he's not going to be at that level. And then we heard Aaron Rodgers say, I need more targets. I really need some targets. So they went out and, and signed Devin Funches, which I don't hate the move. I think Devin Funches didn't really get a chance to show what he was capable of with the— um, with the Colts obviously getting injured in the first game of the season. But he's a big body, a, a good target, and he could shine across a from Devontae Adams. And I'm not saying that, that you know, I'm not writing it up as, as a bad move yet, but you look at <clears throat> you look at what they could have done, you look at the pieces that they could have signed uh, either in the draft or maybe even making a trade. We, we knew guys were available, and, I mean, especially if it was DeAndre Hopkins, it wouldn't have been that big of a price. Um, so you kind of have to feel like they dropped the ball a little bit in, in getting in prolonging Aaron Rodgers' Rogers career, and it looks like they are are basically planning for the future now, which is absurd when you think about a team that went to the NFC Championship game. Uh, just looking at their their draft class, they drafted Jordan Love first round, uh, AJ Dillon, and then Josiah Deguara. Who look, I'm I'm not the best scout of tight ends, especially when we get into these middle rounds. But I know there were a couple key guys that that were still there on the board. I think Cole Komet was still available. Uh, obviously, Harrison Bryant was still there. Um, so I'm not Colby Parkinson. I'm not saying it was it was uh, a bad move, but you know there were guys out there that would have been capable of of filling a role maybe better than than Deguara. But let's focus on the first two. So first things first, Jordan Love. Love the guy, right? You've heard me talk about him for a number of months here. Wanted him to go to the Colts when we still had 13. Um, obviously, we traded that away and, and got DeForest Buckner, but. I think he's a really good uh, a good guy to mold into that locker room. He'll be a key piece, and he, he's going to be a star quarterback. I genuinely do believe that. He's got all the intangibles, uh, the throw-and-run ability, the, the arm talent, everything you need to be a quarterback at the next level, especially in this day and age. Jordan Love has it. Obviously, he needs to be fine-tuned and, and kind of molded into that role. He's very raw as a prospect, but the intangibles are there. You have to love what you've seen, but... I know a lot of Packers fans are questioning why now, right? We just went to the championship game. Why are we looking for a replacement quarterback? Well, two things here right off the bat. First off, that championship game was not close. You you were completely outmatched even when you played in the regular season. The 49ers owned you uh, from, from top to bottom, and they just had a well-built team. They were better coached just all the way around, maybe outside of quarterback play, but you know, Kyle Shanahan has kind of shown that maybe you don't need to have the a top quarterback to, to be successful. Obviously, he didn't win the Super Bowl, but that that point aside, um, the Packers aren't as close as, you know, I, I don't believe the Packers were an NFC Championship game game team the way that they played. And that's, that's plain and simple. You know, you may have gotten there, and that's why guys may be upset. But this team right now, the way the NFC is built, I mean, I just listed the Saints the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Vikings, uh, those are all teams you're going to have to overcome to make the Super Bowl now. And I don't think there was anything they could have done to get aggressively better. And I like the idea of building to the future. The second point I wanted to bring up, Aaron Rodgers is the same age Brett Favre was when they signed Aaron Rodgers. Now, I don't think the Packers are going to make the same mistake twice and allow Aaron Rodgers to prolong this thing, you know, retire, unretire, whatever the case may be. Um, but they're going to use this time to build and grow. 
And the reason I've got them at 10, even though I say they're rebuilding, is because they have Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is still one of the best quarterbacks in the league, a magician with the ball in his hands, a guy that Jordan Love could learn a lot from, He can and he can carry a team when he needs to, but make no mistake, this is not an NFC Championship caliber team. It wasn't last year. It's definitely not going to be this year, but... That leads me to the other point, A.J. Dillon. Why go for a running back? You've already got Jamal Williams and, and Aaron Jones. But I think Jamal Williams has been phased out of the offense a little bit, and the Packers are learning, well, maybe Aaron Jones can't do this all on his own. So I think they want to run a two-back set uh, and and kind of mirror what the 49ers did a little bit, where basically you're going running back by committee, uh, and and a guy could burn you on any day. You have no idea who to game plan for, who to prepare for. You know, And this brings Jamal Williams back into the fold to an extent, but this is just a way to get younger, provide weapons, and yes, I agree. Wide receiver should have been on this list at this point, but the Packers were taking stock and saying, well, maybe we're not as good as as our our progress in the playoffs suggested. And so now they're trying to figure out, okay, let's get this quarterback of the future, let's get him locked up, because I guarantee you, guys with these intangibles are not going to be laying around uh, outside of the top 10 very often. I know you look in the past. I mean, Russell Wilson was a late-round pick. Dak Prescott was was found later. But a lot of these guys have gone top 15 as far as, as pure talent goes. Those are very rare instances where um, you find a guy, you know, anywhere past that, that uh, supposed lottery pick section. So really good for locking him up there. They also traded back to get him. I think that's a thing people don't – how often do you get to – or no, they traded up. I take that back. But they didn't have to trade up that far. Uh, I was thinking of the Dolphins, or yeah, the Dolphins, I think they traded back um, in that spot. But I think all in all, the way that they've built this is they're not planning to win the Super Bowl now, but they're trying to take advantage of that five-year window where, you know, they can they can stay relevant, they can stay with it. But in five years, when these teams start to fade away, you know, Russ starts to get a little, a little older, uh, the, the Chiefs are going to have to start paying players that they won't afford to because Mahomes is going to be paid $50 million dollars. Uh, the you know the the Ravens get older they they don't have a stronger run game but I mean honestly the way they draft like they're going to be good for forever it feels like at this point but you know when when Jimmy Garoppolo starts to demand too much money and he has to be let go from the 49ers you know when when things start to fall apart there the the Packers are going to be there I think they're not going to be winning the Super Bowl here in the next few years but they're going to be there in in five years ready to go they're going to have a team built they're going to have a young quarterback who is really good, really talented. Um, but that's the main thing, I think, is is they're not planning to win now, and it sucks. You know, as a as a, a fan, especially a fan that went to the NFC Championship game, but every everything that they're saying is telling me they are no longer going to be uh, trying to be one of the best teams in the NFC, but they will be at some point in the future. Um, and so that's kind of what I've got on the Packers here. That was a lot. I feel like I, there, was, there was a lot to unpack there, but... Uh, I think a lot of guys have been upset with the way the Packers have been running, and I think that's the best way to describe it. I think that's the best way to explain that whole situation. Uh, finally, number nine, here it is. We don't have to wait any longer. It's the Indianapolis Colts, right? Now, here's my reasoning. Let's jump right off the bat. All of this hinges on the success of Phillip Rivers. If Phillip Rivers is the Phillip Rivers of two years ago, a pro bowler, the Colts are going 12 and 4. And you look at the run game that they built, you look at they've got better receivers, they've got a way better defense signing or trading for DeForest Buckner. Everywhere around at every angle, even signing Rodrigo Blankenship. They've got a better special teams now. You know, I'm sorry. Adam Venateri didn't it wasn't all that in a bag of chips for us this year, unfortunately, even though he has for a lot of his career. Much respect to Adam Venateri. 
never, never harbor a, a bad thought in my body towards Adam Vinatieri at any point. But you got to, you know, you got to know when to say goodbye. Um, but they are 12 and 14. As far as talent goes, you take away quarterback from the equation. They're pushing a top five team, but quarterback is a part of the equation. And if Philip Rivers is not at the top level, you know, he's not, he's Philip Rivers from last year throwing t- uh, interceptions on what should be game winning drives. The Colts are probably going eight and eight. They're in a very similar situation to what they had with Jacoby Brissett, and the record will reflect that. I think you you take away even this past season, and you know, being a fan watching every second of every game, there are a couple Adam Venetary field goals, uh, and maybe a couple poor performances from Jacoby Brissett away from really sneaking into the playoffs. I mean, I can think just offhand the the Dolphins game, for example, when Brian Hoyer started. You know, winning that one would have been big. Uh, we only lost by three points, and that Eric Ebron touchdown was a touchdown. His knee was down. He had possession of the ball. I don't know what they were thinking. Uh, the the field goal miss uh, against the Steelers, that would have bumped us up another game there. Um, but I digress. We're not talking about last year. We're talking about this year. Uh, as far as ads go, mentioned, signed Phillip Rivers, traded for DeForest Buckner, uh, and signed Xavier Rhodes. Now, I think this is interesting because you look at the losses here. Let Eric Ebron go. I think that was for the best. Devin Funches obviously got hurt, unfortunate. He was let go, and then we uh, released Pierre Desir. Now, I think we're better off taking a bet on a guy like Xavier Rhodes to play at cornerback than we were with Pierre Desir. I think he he peaked for a year, um, and, and it wasn't good from the rest of that time. But Xavier Rhodes is a former All-Pro. If we can kind of mold him into this defense, that'll, that'll really build a strong contender. And, you know, he'll play like a Richard Sherman role. That's kind of what I'm hoping he's going to do with the team is, is, is build um, whatever they've got going on there build um him around that off or that defense as opposed to the other way around um but in the draft fantastic draft michael Pittman, jonathan taylor maybe quarterback of the future jacob eason uh just a home run with every pick i didn't love trading up for jonathan taylor i thought you know i'm not a big running back guy as you guys have probably gathered at this point but i think a guy of his talent what he was able to do at wisconsin although there's a lot of tread on the tires He's, he's very talented. Him, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines is going to be a lethal running back group, uh, especially with the way that Phillip Rivers likes to throw to his running backs. Naheem Hines is going to be catching passes, and, and Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack will be splitting the work. It's going to be beautiful. It'll be absolutely incredible. I'm so psyched for what we have built here uh, on offense, not to mention on defense. But as I mentioned, Phillip Rivers, his talent, his ability will be the difference between 8-8 eight and eight and 12-4. and four. Um I think what will be interesting to see is, are we building this run game? Like I mentioned, those three guys, is that going to be the focal point of the offense and the complement to the pass, or are we going to be looking to uh, the pass to open up the run? Because Paris Campbell missed a lot of games last season, was injured. We didn't really get to see what we, we had from him. you know. And if we can match him, T.Y. Hilton, and Michael Pittman all on the field at the same time, I mean, Philip Rivers is going to love it. He's going to have somebody open at some point uh, and a dump off to Naheem Hines. Uh, whenever he needs so that will be interesting to see how the offense is built from that standpoint uh, but what happens with Jacoby Brissett you know he, he was really strong I think 14 touchdowns three picks for the first seven games of the season uh, playing at a very high level the Colts were five and two uh, and then things just kind of fell off he got injured uh, when he came back it wasn't the same it wasn't able to lead drives and, and it kind of made me question you know was he ever good in the first place was he just kind of hiding behind a good system uh, but I feel like there's at least a high-level backup job for him out there at some point. Maybe not a starter. I mean, you look at the what, what people have in the league here, but I think he's getting $25 million from us this year. And then probably let him go. But if he goes 
and Philip Rivers goes, then is is it Jacob Eason and who? You know, are we getting Swag Kelly back there to back him up? Like, it, it feels like too soon. I almost want Rivers to stay for for maybe two two years just so we can get Jacob Eason kind of under control. Um, but that will be a scary thought. What are we doing at quarterback? I I don't know at this point. Um, and that's kind of the that's kind of the gist of it. I think that's kind of the main deal that we've got here uh, with the with the Colts. And I know I could go on for a while, so I'm going to cap it there before you know things get really out of hand. Uh, but that is the power rankings for this week, 12 through 9. Uh, very exciting. Come back for, for 8 to 5, and then 4 to 1, and then we're done. And then it's off to divisions. Uh, very exciting. But thank you so much for listening. Check us out on, on Twitter, at PodcastNGL, at Instagram, where you can see the nice graphics for all of these that I built on Canva, uh, at Not Gonna Lie Podcast. Be sure to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, five stars preferably. Uh, but you can check us out wherever you want. Tell a friend, spread the news. We've got a lot of good things coming, a lot of guests that are going to be joining us. Super, super pumped. But thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.